Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Wild Tales podcast. I'm Jason Fox, and this series is all about adventure, resilience, and inspirational humans. The podcast is presented by The Book of Man and sponsored by Talisker Single Malt Whiskey. My guest today is Patrick Hutchinson, one of the most incredible men to have emerged in 2020. A photo of him rescuing a counter-protester to safety during a Black Lives Matter protest in June became instantly iconic and catapulted the personal trainer to worldwide fame. I talked to him about the incident and his book, Everyone vs. Racism, A Letter to My Children. You've also been suggesting questions to ask on Instagram. Because it's Christmas, we'll send a Talisker sea salted caramel gift set to the one I pick out. Anyway, here we go. I really hope you enjoy the episode. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's been, well, it's been a mental year, to be honest. We're coming towards the end of it. But before we go into 2020, can you tell us about your early life? Where did you grow up? What kind of kid you were? All right, well, it's also an honour to speak to you, uh, Mr. Fox. So, uh, so yeah, the, the feeling's mutual. Uh, so, basically, as a, as, a, as a young man, I sort of grew up in um, the Battersea, Clapham area. Um, originally, I was born in Coventry. Right. Uh, my mum, we came down, I think, when I, I was about four years old when I came to, to London. And South London was a spot. And, yeah, Battersea and Clapham is where I sort of grew up. I, I went to school up in... Uh, Wandsworth so it was all in that you know in that uh, area I know it well yeah what was it I mean why what was the reason for moving down from Coventry so um for those of you that don't really know what Coventry is like I guess uh, back back then I'm not going to say anything negative about Coventry now because I don't live there now but back then when my mum was uh in her early 20s it was quite a, a boring place and um she'd she'd met my father down in London and that was kind of the place to be, I guess. So when she had me, she decided to to move to uh, to London. Right. Okay. How old How old are you, Patrick? Sorry. Um, fifty. Fifty. Oh, big right, five okay. zero, man. Yeah. Big five zero. <laughs> What's so? What was your childhood like down here in down here down here down here in Battersea Clapham Way? Um, was it Was it hard? Was it Were you outdoorsy? You know, give us an idea of what it was like to be down here, especially moving from Coventry. So I mean, I I I was like a sort of an, an outdoors lad. I liked sport, and you know, like as you do, but I didn't get the opportunity to do as much as it as I would, would have liked because I, my mum was a single mum, and uh, I used to have to look after my little sister when she went to work and stuff. So when my mates were out playing, I didn't always get to go out as well or go and play football or or do whatever because I was always looking after my little sister. Um, and there were times when I left her alone, actually, and went out and he got caught and he got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I, was a, I was a bit shy, a bit... Um, I feel like I was a bit reserved and a bit shy and um, a bit insecure. Yeah. Um, but 
martial when I found martial arts and stuff like that, it, it brought me out of my shell a bit more. Uh, but generally, I was quite a, a caring and quiet lad. I was raised by by mainly women, so I had that that caring streak in me from from the get go. You know, just surrounded by lots of love and lots of uh, kisses and hugs from my mum and my aunts and stuff, and any of the women in my life. So that's sort of where that side of me comes from. Yeah, yeah. What um, what? So what age did you get into martial arts then? So I used to watch, I was watching like martial arts movies and Kung Fu movies from an early age. My mum yeah. and I, my sister, we used to sit and watch them. And I was started watching them at probably about eight or nine. Um, and then obviously, you know, you, you start mimicking the moves and, and practicing the, all the, the kicks without any instructions. And then I had a mate um, at school that uh, took up Taekwondo. And he used to come and he used to teach me lots of the moves. And then I decided I was going to take it up myself. So I think I was about... 11 12 when i finally like joined the taekwondo club yeah yeah after, after you know like months of begging my mum to let me go you know and that that reminds me of like me and my little brother actually when we were kids because i remember i remember the time when my old man got he, they rented the vhs video it's like a big thing like this oh this, yeah yeah this video and then <laughs> my dad was like there was like a there was a video store near us in luton called magnum i, I don't know i don't know why i remember this <laughs> and the first DVD, uh, DVD, the first videos he bought home was like the Bruce Lee ones, you know, like oh, the big right, yeah. pop. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I love them. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it proper did my mum's head in because me and my brother were running around with like the pool cues and just whacking each other around each other's heads. Yeah, it was an epic. But yeah, no, like, those, those were quality, those were. The, the acting was uh, diabolical, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's horrendous. I've actually, I actually had a look at some of the clips from some of, uh, it, was, it was like over a year ago, but I was like, uh, I was like, what the f am I watching? <laughs> Even Chuck Norris was bad. Oh, yeah, they were all bad, man. It was terrible, man. It was terrible. Yeah, it was all, it was all times, though. Yeah. Um, what, was, how were you, what were you like at school? The, the reason I ask is because I was rubbish at school. I, yeah. I, just, I had no interest in it, and I think that's why I pursued the... That's why I went down the route I did, was because I had to get away from where I was and be yeah. outdoors. But what, what were you like at school, and what, what influenced you after school? I was actually, I wasn't too bad at school, to be honest, uh, Jason. I, I was like um, just above average. So you you have the sets and I wasn't yeah. in the top tier, but I was above the average, I was above the, above the middle kids and I was sort of in between the top and the middle kids. So in that space where if you work really hard, you can probably get to the top set. But if you uh, start mucking around, you'll end up in the, in the, in the middle yeah. set. So I was sort of in that space there. Um, I, so I, I did get involved in in a, in a lot of mix up at school because I had like mates that were all <laughs> always up to no good, and I was like you know following along with them. So yeah. I got myself in, into a, a bit into a lot of trouble here and there. Um, a lot of it to do with taekwondo. I, was, I, I used to be kicking things in, practicing kicks and breaking things and stuff, and we all used to get in a bit of trouble. Um, but once I realised the heartache it was giving my mum, I, I kind of sort of stopped a lot of that stuff. Um, so I, I was always the, 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 the kid that when they spoke to my mum, they would say he's got a lot of potential. So you've got yeah. to get him away yeah. from all of this nonsense. Yeah. So I wasn't the I wasn't the guy that sort of they'd given up on. It was like he's got a lot of potential, but he's got to stop doing all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So did, did your mum have that influence on you to get you away from that nonsense? Yeah, it was it was the love of my mum and the disappointment. 
you know, because I got in trouble at school a bit. And then uh, outside of school, I got arrested a few times for nothing hugely serious, just just being bought, being a young man, right, and following the wrong yeah. crowd. Um, and then it was like um, seeing her disappointment of coming to pick me up from police stations and seeing how up, upset she was. And because it was only her that raised my, my sister and I, I felt I was really, really letting her down. And, and it was just that disappointment on her face and, and upset, how upset she got is what sort of uh, pulled me around in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, yeah, it's the disappointment, isn't it? It's not the anger. It's... Yeah, it's a dis- yeah, 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 disappointment. I, I use that on my children, you know, the disappointment. Because <laughs> you know it's so powerful. Yeah, that's so, it's so much more powerful, you're right, than being angry, just show disappointment, like it cuts them up. <laughs> Ang- anger looks so uncool, doesn't it? It's just an, it's an uncool thing, you know. Yeah. If you want to be cool, don't be angry, but. Um, yeah. Did you did you sort of like cut school away at 16 or did you persevere with education? Yeah, so uh, I finished my education. I uh, went to school in Wandsworth, um, finished my education, then went to college also in Wandsworth. Yeah. And um, I was actually, I did two years. I did an IT, um, a computer science uh, B-Tech course it was at the time. Yeah. And that was supposed to propel me onto a, a university degree. But um, my girlfriend and I were expecting a baby. Okay, (laughs) and um, I couldn't then go on and and go uni for the next three or four years because I had a a son to to raise. So uh, I just went and got a job straight away. So that was uh, so, yeah, I didn't end up going to uni in the end, but I could have done. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What what did you end up doing? So, yeah. So after doing the IT, uh, the IT um, BTEC course. Um, I went on and, and started working in IT. I got a, um, a job in operations, IT operations. It's sort of like, of all the jobs in IT, it's sort of like a base level job. And uh, you kind of work the computers overnight, um, do a lot of the printing. Back in the day, you did a lot of printing and stuff. And so, for example, I worked in investment banks and, and you'd print the bank statements and you would, yeah. you know, operate the computers and, and uh, do sort of like a bit of a customer service to the those abroad because obviously when we're a, we're, a, we're a, when we're sleeping they're awake say for example yeah. in America so it was it was that I, I started doing in the in the early stages of my IT career where we where we where were you, where was that then was that in the city that was in the heart of the city yeah in the heart of the city my first job was like on King William Street middle of yeah, the yeah. city and yeah. um, I was in the city for twenty five years roughly almost you know I went on to do other jobs within the infrastructure within IT. Uh, building servers and stuff like that and then I ended up with project management yeah that must have been a bit buzzing really because like I, without being rude when you started in IT it was it was it was still a new thing wasn't it because I got mates that like yeah. went into IT and it was like a new no one really knew what it was all about especially people like me because like people, my mates would say oh, I'm in IT and I'm like what does that mean I ain't got a clue what a computer is let alone what IT means but it was like a growth industry, wasn't it, back then, from what I remember? Yeah, yeah. The computers were, were huge. Um, <laughs> it wasn't like about servers and stuff like that. The computers they used, they used to use magnetic, magnetic tapes to, to back up things. It was, yeah, it was really uh, ancient back then. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah. I, I, that is when I enjoyed it, back, you know, when I first started it. Yeah, yeah. Is it? So you say you did, when did you finish that? When did you finish in IT? 
So I, I stopped IT when I was in my sort of uh, early 40s, about yeah. 41, 42. Um, it, it was just, um, it got a bit much, you know, office politics and all of that. Because when I was younger, I, you didn't, I didn't notice it so much when I was younger. But as I got older, as I hit 30, my 30s, I realised I didn't sort of like the characters I was working with. Um, yeah. the people were not my kind of people. Mm. And um, on, on a few occasions... I found myself talking to people um, outside of the office saying, listen, if you continue to behave the way you're, you're, you're behaving, then we'll yeah. have to talk about this outside of the office because you guys, yeah. when you've got your suits and ties on, you, you think that you're, I don't know, you know, like very there's big, a, you know what, you know? And, and Yeah, there's a lot of toxic, there's a lot of toxic, um, there's a toxic culture in a lot of that industry, yeah. out, especially in the sort of hubs of the cities. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of egos. Yeah, there's a lot of egos, Jason, and huge, and there's a lot of bullying, man. There's so much bullying, mm. um, and any any kind of bullying you can imagine, and it's just people of um, in positions of power taking yeah. the mick of other people who are trying to get to where they are and using them and abusing them, and it's horrible. Do you know what I mean? And once you realise that, as you get older, you thought, I don't want to be a part of this. So, um, what was what was the next chapter then? What did the next chapter look like? Well, so for me, it was like people always said to me, you know, you should uh, become a personal trainer because, uh, you know, I was always into training, always advising people to train and giving people advice and tips and stuff. And they said, yeah, you should get into training. So it was almost like I'm 40, 42. I ain't got a lot of time. I can't, I ain't got seven years to go and train to be a doctor or, or a lawyer or anything else. You know, it's anything that's going to take up a lot of time. I need to get, do something quickly. So, you know, uh, I, it was, uh, you know, being a personal trainer seemed to be the one. So yeah. I did my certifications. Um, and then I, I got approached by a friend, someone who's a really good friend of mine now, Paul Miller, uh, who I, I bumped into at an um, athletics um, competition because my niece was a, you know, a, a little budding sprinter and I used to take her along. Yeah. And he approached me. And then I, I got into coaching athletics and I did my qualifications with, uh, you know, UK athletics. So I'm also a certified athletics coach and I sort of coupled the personal training with the athletics uh, coaching and I and I, I did that. And that was my, my new uh, way to make a money. A lot more fun than hanging around with egomaniacs as well. Yeah, you know. definitely. Especially when you come to coaching the young people and the children. It was a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's awesome. <clears throat> Not that I'm any good at athletics. I'm pretty poor, to be honest, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... That's, I'm going to I'm going to start on the beginning of this year. I mean, it's been this year has been mental to say the least um, for a lot more people than me. You know, I've 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 just been bore witness to a lot of it really, and, and and I've also been lucky enough to work. But what were you doing at the start of the year? Can you remember? So, yeah, I mean, at the start of the year, I was doing doing my athletics. The athletics coaching uh, took over my PTing. So although I originally, you know, became a personal trainer, mm. the athletics coaching really took off more, more so. And so that was what I was doing. Um, and sort of the PT team was, was very minimal. So you'd get like, um, you know, individuals who have their children in, in some, in some really top um, schools, you know, some, some, yeah. some top independent schools. So for example, a man might have his son playing rugby and he wants him to be quicker. So yeah. You know, I could do one-on-ones with with that young man to get to increase his speed. You know, and 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 his running style, improve him. You know, all around, and also his fitness. So, you know, that was the that was the, the sort of the avenue I was going down. Uh, and then I I 
I got to, I thought about becoming a mentor because a couple of my young athletes, as you well know, Jason, a lot of the most talented children in sport are from impoverished backgrounds and, and, and yeah. poor backgrounds, right? So I had a, a lot of young sprinters who were getting a lot of trouble at school. And um, I would go down to the schools and talk with the head teachers where nobody else could sort of reason with these young young people just to show them the school, the other side to them saying, listen, I, I coach them, you know, like four or five times a week and they don't give me any trouble whatsoever. So it's obviously a bit of a breakdown in communication between you and this young person. And I was I, I was being called in to do this, you know, more and more. So I thought, you know what, I'm going <clears> to <throat> go in the sort of the mentoring role as well. And um Maybe going to some of these pupil referral units, you know, about those where the children that get kicked out of school go. Yeah. So, um, so that was my 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 aim was to go into these proofs, but they're called, and um, help some of these these young men and girls, you know, get back into mainstream school if possible, and if not, just help to mentor them and sort of empower them a bit. I think it's mega important that because I'm like I was probably one of those kids, and it's it's had me thinking, and I think a lot of the time the curriculum lets down those kids that, don't, you know, the kids aren't very academic. The curriculum yeah. basically saying to them, you're going to amount to nothing. And that's why they yeah. become they become disassociated and disillusioned. And they're like, they're, all they want to do is belong to something. Do you know what I mean? And to have a mentor or to have a, a different focus, like an athletic coach or, or a, whatever the sport is, yeah. wherever you yeah. try to do, it allows them to understand. And they're actually probably, I mean, you can vouch for it more than I can, but they're probably mega switched on, young individuals do you know what I mean they're just not that way inclined and this is the thing like when I would go to the schools I'd be saying to them like the, the, the young person you're talking about and telling me what the things they're getting up to isn't the person that I know trackside because yeah. they're fully engaged in what we're doing and and, and, and I see the best of them so um, definitely 100% like obviously from an academics perspective some of these children are just not engaged and they're not yeah. really bothering to try and engage them and this is where they fall out of the system Mm, yeah it's where and it happens a lot especially in towns and it down towns and cities are the where it just seems to because there's so many kids and you know it's not necessarily the teachers fault, i suppose but they're just yeah. like they've just got this they've got like milestones to it or kpis whatever you want to call them yeah it's like, oh, they're the kids i just i ain't got time for that because there's yeah. just too, too many of them but anyway um it, how did i suppose you know march turns up and it what i remember it being march it, and everything started to look like it was, you know, as far as we knew, our normal was falling apart. What happened there with sort of like your coaching and, and the mentoring and all that sort of thing? I suppose it was going to be looking like it was going to put on hold. And then what happens to the kids? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, most of it sort of got switched off and then it, everything sort of went online. So we would we would sort of do Zoom sessions online with the, with the children. Uh, we would do some like workouts and some sort of like strength and conditioning stuff, but we'd also do some competitions and uh, quizzes and stuff as well, just to try and keep them engaged. But yeah, everything sort of, uh, everything sort of disappeared, mate. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was tough. It was a struggle. How long did that go on for, for you? I mean, for me, I, I came back and, you know, I just hold myself up and watched it all play out. But I mean, did you, I take it you did the same apart from doing those zooms and trying to keep kids interested in whatever was, available to them yeah it was it was that and it was with my own children as well like um I mean my youngest daughter I felt like she dropped a couple of grades during the first lockdown because you know like she she was not she's quite a smart girl but I tell you what like it, it seems as if she went back a, a grade or two because 
she was struggling to be it was we were struggling to sort of get her engaged with work and stuff she was just turned into a, a Roadblox fiend uh, this is a game called Roadblox that these young young children play and yeah yeah couldn't get her off of it and at times it was convenient for for us just to have her quiet because obviously a lot of us like my missus she'd be working uh you know doing calls zoom calls yeah, and I'll yeah. be doing whatever and so you want them nice and quiet and, and, and sometimes it was easy for them to just be on the iPad playing these games yeah but uh, it didn't take long before you, you realize it sort of the damage it can do to them yeah it's fucking I mean it's horrible when to think about it you're like when you're all in the house trying to vie for silence or trying to vie for your own space it's I don't know what you do because <laughs> yeah. a lot of it's a piece it's like yeah oh, just shut up whatever yeah and then exactly. all of a sudden you like, suddenly realize that it's going on a lot longer but then obviously you know we're, we're I mean we're going to talk primarily about 2020 because it's I mean there's been a shitload happen but um then obviously, you know, the events over in the US, you know, with with George Floyd, I'm not at best place to talk about it. And that's why you're here. But can you can you ex- can you tell us about your journey with that? Well, in terms of uh, George Floyd's story, I mean, there were a few other uh, stories that were um, yeah. that was, you know, that were going around, especially the Breonna Taylor one. Yeah. And um, when George Floyd, I mean, I'd heard about it before I saw the video. People were like saying have you seen the video of George Floyd? And it was one of those moments, you know, when you hear that there's something that's gone viral and I'm, I'm always at a place, do I actually want to see what, what people are talking about? Because you're hearing yeah. how uh, harrowing it is and and how despicable it is. And you think, I think to myself, do I want to see this? Do I really want to see it? And I thought, I don't want to see it. But then it was like, I know I have to see it. Mm. Uh, and then when I watched it, Jason, I, I literally, I cried, mate. Honestly, I cried. Um, yeah. Because it was, um, even when I talk about it, sometimes it makes me, uh, <laughs> it makes me, yeah. a, it, I get a bit funny because um, it was, um, it was the nonchalance of the, of the officer, like looking into the camera, staring at, mm. and he had his hands in his pockets. Uh, and um, I can just see him now with his knee in, in George's neck. And he was just looking like, what are you going to do? Like, and, um, and then it was his officers as well around him that were just all, complicit because not one of them had the sense to say listen mate you've you've gone too far they were just all they were just doing crowd control and watching him do what he was doing and it just uh, it was sickening mate it was sickening and um i don't think i've ever seen anything that's had that much of an impact on me and i've seen some i've seen some disgusting things sent around the internet at times you know but that that one thing um you know it i mean there's a point where you know he's died he's dead he's, he's just he's passed away like you're still your knee's still on his neck and the bloke's dead. He's not. He's not talking. He's not breathing. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, and that. Um, yeah, that. That had me like thinking a lot about. Like I just felt. Um, I felt really helpless. Like I thought, what you know, what can I do sitting here in the front room, uh, watching this stuff? What can I do? There's nothing I can do. Um, and then one of the one of my mates, uh, Jermaine Facey, he's one of the four guys that went with us on the day. He he'd been down to the um, you know the, the the march where the policewoman got felled off her horse. Yeah. So he'd been down to that to that particular um, demonstration, and he was right at the front line of it, watching what was happening. Mm. And um, he explained to me that the the horses, the police on the horses, they rushed the protesters with the horses, and the. Uh, the young protesters, they had, few of them had Boris bikes, so they threw the Boris bikes in way of the horses to protect themselves. So then the horses panic, 
and then the obviously all the police officers are trying to keep the horses under control. Yeah. But this one uh, policewoman, she she lost control of her horse because she couldn't control the horse, and um, it clotheslined her into a, a lamppost, and that's how she she fell off the horse, and then the horse gallops off, and takes out a couple of uh, civilians in the process as well, and then gallops off back to the stables, I think. Yeah. And then he saw that and the, the mayhem that it caused, it was absolute mayhem, he said. And um, he looked around and he didn't see any of the uh, older experienced people in the community. Like we we know a lot of security guys, some ex-forces guys as well, yeah. um, some uh, personal trainers and some just old, and martial artists. We know a lot of these people in our circle and um, we didn't see any of them. He just said all he could see was young, young people. So he. When he got back from that demonstration, he put a shout out on his uh, Instagram live and his Facebook live, having yeah. a bit of a rant saying like, where were we all? None of us are out here protecting uh, the youngsters and we need to do better. So then when um, Tommy Robinson put his shout out, whenever it was a few days later, um, to the football thugs and EDL guys, um, we thought, right, this is our time. We need to make sure we go down there to, to help protect and yeah, keep yeah. the order because we knew that it was just going to kick off big time. So what can you talk about that day then? You know, we, we're obviously building up to the, to the obvious, but, you know, you, the, the older guys within your community, you've, you've put that shout out, you know, the, 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 I suppose it's a, it was, it was, it's a necessary thing to have older, more wiser heads in, the, in a situation like that because to, to, it helps get the message across because if everything spins into chaos messages are lost aren't they and all anyone ever focuses on is the shit and so and 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 the, and the unnecessary noise i suppose but how, how did that day start for you and then and then pan out so that so prior to going out on that day there was a lot of uh, when when jermaine had put that call out that shout out yeah there was a lot of negative feedback and people were saying that um it's a trap you know um it's a draw out, as they like to say on the streets, because they're saying that um, if we go out, if, if we go down there, it's going to kick off and then the whole of the BLM movement is going to be derailed and it's going to, going to focus on us being thugs. Yeah. Um, but what we were trying to explain is that we weren't going down there to fight. For those who are young and, 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 and uh, less experienced, they might be going down there to have a tear up. Those are the ones that we need to keep away from the, the situation. But as for us, we were going down there to help stop all of that stuff so we had to be there you know yeah um so after we put that shout out um so my, my on the day i i was actually busy on the day my i had my grandchildren um, I yeah. had my grandson and my granddaughter and my little and my two daughters we were just hanging out looking after the, the grandchildren and then the mate uh he comes and he says you know we gotta go down there and i i said like you know i'm sure you've got enough numbers um i, I i'm gonna have to sit this one out because i've i've already promised to babysit yeah. And then he says, uh, we've only got, there's only five of us, including you. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can imagine, you, know, you can appreciate it, obviously. He's, he, he's, he's mega batted the ball back into your court, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, you're not going to leave your brothers like in a, in, in a hole like that, you know. So I just had to, you know, sort it out, sort out the the, the, the babysitting situation. And I had to, 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 to go down there with him because of, you know, I made number five. And then in the end, we had another guy on the that met us on the way. So there were six of us in total going down there to, to God knows to God knows what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was how the day started. Like it wasn't, it didn't start, 
didn't start off too well. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was the beginning of the day. So where where did you um, where were you heading? So you're obviously at home. Where yeah. where exactly were you going in town? Or what like? Because I'm trying to. How do I explain what I'm trying to ask? It's like there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on all over the place. But what was? How did you choose a position to go? Where, where did you choose to go and why? So we knew that the main demonstration was at Chirago Square. So we were heading there, but en route, we'd heard that there was going to be a demonstration also outside the US Embassy, which was in Vauxhall. So yeah, we, okay. we yeah. went around there and that turned out to be a, you know, a, a lie. So we ended up going, okay, going over to uh, Trafalgar Square. So we were you know, walking over Vauxhall Bridge um, and then we realised there were so many diversions and cutoffs already that we couldn't get to where we were going so we had to go back and jump on the underground in the end right um and in doing so we jumped on the underground and there were like pockets of uh well, so there was five of six of us um in the end it ended up being just five of us in the end because one of them one of us decided it was there was too much walking up and down i, I want to go home so he, he he went but on the underground so there were six of five of us and um there were pockets of uh, like the football guy, the hooligans, yeah. in various carriages and stuff. So you know you can you can uh, I mentioned this in, in my book actually. You can sort of see each other there, and there's this look um, that you you know you give each other this look, and it's like um, it's like not here. It's like not yeah. It's not going to go down here when we when we uh, get off and get to where we get to Chicago Square. Then it's going to kick off, and you, you could see that look in their eyes. You know what I mean? Like it was a uh, an unspoken thing where everybody's going to just stay cordial on the underground and we'll save it for when we get there. That sort of look. But what? So um, we knew we weren't going there for a tear up. Do you know what I mean? Like we, mm. we've got nothing to prove. Um, mm. But uh, but obviously when you see, unfortunately, when you see a group of uh, black guys, they, they, they're going to think that that's what we're going there for, I guess. You know, they don't realise that we're a little bit older and I've got a bit more, got a bit more experience about us and, you know, we see things differently. I just don't get my head around. I can't get my head around why they're like, oh, right, we're just going to have a tear up because they're black guys. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's like, I find it difficult to understand that that mentality. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no actual beef. Do you know what I mean? And apparently they were protecting statues, but all the tas- all the statues they were protecting, Jason, have already been boarded up. Yeah. You can see, they, the, you know, Churchill statue was boarded up and all the other statues have been boarded up. Yeah, so yeah. There, there was no need to protect statues at all, you know. So you're obviously going down there. And you're just put, going you know, there for you're going there for scrap. That's it. Yeah, that's why you're going there. You have the old Mexican standoff on the um, on the tube. Yeah. Where, where did you get off then? Did you get off at Trafalgar Square? I think we got off at Trafalgar Square. Square. I don't even remember exactly what station it was, but I know we we got off and then we walked for a bit, um, and then. Um, when we got to the, we couldn't get to the centre of the hub. We could see it kicking off. You know, like I don't know if you saw. There was some footage on the news of the the the, the police and the uh, you know the hooligan football hooligans so having a bit of a, a, a scrap. And yeah, um, yeah. we could see it, but we couldn't get to it because they cordoned. It was all cordoned off. You know, yeah, they yeah. kept telling us to go around, go around, go around. So that part, that bit in the centre there, we we didn't actually get to see it or get in there because um, we couldn't get to it. We, it was all cordoned off. Yeah. So 
the issues that we found were later on down by Waterloo. So after that had happened, when we did get into Trivaga, things had died down. And then you you sort of you go around and you're talking to everybody and you're hearing what happened and what unfolded and that. And then they start to chaperone everybody over to Waterloo. I guess it was their way of um, dispersing everybody. They sort of started to, you know, with the horses and the, the, the riot police and stuff, everybody started to be, you know, shoved towards uh, the Waterloo. So we all walked over the bridge, Waterloo Bridge. And yeah. then we ended up by the station uh, in, and in between the embankment and the near the Raw Opera House, all in that area. Yeah, yeah. And then that's where there were pockets of things that started to happen here and there, but which which we uh, which I'll tell you about in in a sec. Yeah. So, you- jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You've got in, you've got down that way. And, and what, what was, what was happening? So, so as you can imagine, there was lots and lots of a few, few hundreds people there. Um, and every now and again, something's kicking off somewhere and people are rushing to one side and there's a, a mini fight take break taking place. I think there's still pockets of EDL guys in the area and things are happening. Um, so the first thing that, that we, we stopped was a young man. He was doing some graffiti. He had a, like a, a fist template and he was using yeah, it was and spraying it yeah. all over things. And, um, you know, there was a load of old Bill, like, just standing there watching him. And we pulled him up. He said, listen, well, they, they, actually, the old Bill got hold of him first. And yeah. we sort of got over there and intervened and said, like, we'll, we'll take care of it, officer. Don't worry about it. And the, the policeman let us speak to him. And we said, listen, what are you doing? Like, you're doing... You're doing this, and all look how look look behind you. There's like rows of meat wagons like lined up, and you're doing and you're you know you're spraying and doing graffiti. So we took all the stuff from him, gave it to the police, and he gave him a bit of a ticking off. He was a bit upset to start with, but then he realised what we were saying would made sense, and he and he went on his merry way. So that was the first thing that we we sorted. Yeah. The next thing was uh, there was a young lad who, who who they all of a sudden decided. Young white lad, all of a sudden they decided he was EDL. They just started saying EDL, EDL, and he must have thought, what, what, "What's going on? I'm, I'm with you, right?" Yeah. And they started running after him. So we, so we like got there and said, "No, no, 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 no. He's been with you the whole time. He's not EDL." Like, and we stopped that, you know, from unfolding because God knows what what would have happened, you know, because when when he's not in a herd mentality, they just do stupid things, don't they? So yeah, that was that. Then there was a, a car come out of nowhere um some people say that they had edl members inside the car but i can't confirm that all i know that there was a couple of guys in a car white guys in a car driving through the 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 bloody crowd so of course the crowd reacts they try to smash the car to bits 
and it's just <laughs> it's just mayhem. So like we 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 basically like pull people off the car, have a go at the guys inside the car, like what are you doing, and just get out get out of here, and then they drive on. So we stopped that from happening. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, and then um then we come to that to that fateful moment where uh, we we're sort of standing a uh, away uh, a little bit away, and then uh, one of us sort of notices uh a bit of a scrap at the top of the stairs. So there's a stairs that lead from the, up to the embankment. Yeah. It's from the, it's on the, by the bridge, isn't it? Is that yeah. right? And yeah. it's at the side of the, uh, the Royal Opera House. Where oh, no, called, yeah, yeah, right? sorry. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's a scrap down on the top of there. Looks like EDL guys in Black Lives Matter protesters all having a, a tear up. So we thought we'd better get over there. So as we get over there, um, the EDL guys have run off. There's one guy that's left there. He looks completely out of it. Like, um, yeah. He definitely looked like he might have been a bit concussed. He just didn't know where he was. Um, and then there was a few of the Black Lives Matter protesters like, sort of protecting him. And there was a Rustafarian guy. I always make reference to this Rustafarian guy. Yeah. That was like, he was sort of holding him and sort of cradling him and just telling people to just, to just chill. But as more and more people realised what had happened and who he was, that he was an EDL guy, they all started to come and, and try and get digs in here and there. Yeah. And, um, we saw it from a distance. We thought we better get over there really, really quickly. And as we get over there, um, like it's like hundreds of people like about to descend on on on, on this rusted guy. And there's a couple of other people trying to help him, but they were mm. just outnumbered. And then by the time we managed to get to the stairs, you couldn't even see where the guy was because it was a sea of people. So he he had, he had fallen and he was under under yeah. on, on the stairs somewhere. Yeah. So so then we start um, sifting through people like just dragging people by, by their collars like. Just dragging about the way um, until we see him, and he was sort of lying in the fetal position on, on one of the steps. Um, you know, um, a, a, obviously been on the receiving end of, of, of a bit of a kick in. So, yeah. like uh, the guys were sort of like were just trying to push people away and protect him. And then I just thought, like, it makes no sense standing here because we're just all going to get trampled at some point because we're just going to be outnumbered. Yeah. So he was on the floor. He was lying in the fetal position. We managed to see him. The guys were were there, sort, sort of giant making like a bow around sort of people from getting to him but like common sense told me that we ain't able to be able to protect him here for long because there's just too many people right so i just thought i'm gonna pick him up and carry him over to the police because the police were like a few yards away uh they were just there filming everything so i just like scooped him up and threw him on my shoulder and uh just sort of walked him out and then um the guys uh people were like sort of protecting me as i carried him out you know yeah, yeah. um and that, and that was it, mate. Like, I mean, at the time, I didn't even realise there were uh, that anyone had caught it on camera or video for it. But then when I watched it back, you could see all the people with their cameras taking pictures and, you know, um, yeah. And that was it, mate. Sounds like a mental day. But like, it was, it was. It was. Thing, ultimately, there would have been no good for anyone come from that. I'd say no. that's the way you were thinking anyway. The yeah, exactly. Is, what happened? So you got him away. What did you like? What did you do? Just pat him down, make sure he's all right, and be like, you know, what are you doing? You know, this 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 shit isn't good anyway. You've just found that out. Yeah, I mean, I I, I um didn't even speak to him because he 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 was he was like he was out of it, mate. Honestly, he was yeah. he wasn't he wasn't even there. So I just put him down, um, gave him to one of the police officers. Listen, here you go, um, and that was it. Went on my merry way, and then um, I did see later on that they, there was an ambulance and they had him in an ambulance, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was it. That was the that was, I never I never spoke to him on the day, yeah, um, and haven't since. Like yeah, that was it. 
never spoke to him since or nothing. No, no, you know. So that yeah, that's it. <laughs> wonder what happened. Wonder what happened to him. Wonder where he is. How long were you out there for after that? Were you did you was that it? You went home or? So after that, we sort of hung around a bit more. Um, we were kind of just waiting for the uh, the crowds to really disperse because one of one of the guys uh, that we were with on a day he runs a security firm, so he's very much of um, you know he's one that noticed when um, it started kicking off on the stairs and said we need to get over there. And he's yeah. the one that would sort of say to us, okay, let's just uh, hang around a little bit more until people start to uh, to go. Because once the, the numbers wane, then we'll, then we'll go, you know, and which is what we did. We sort of waited for yeah. um, people to go and that coincided with us, with our bellies calling us as well. So then we uh, <laughs> we went on our merry way and went home. There isn't the right people in certain places to defuse. It's all about de-escalation. Yeah. You know, conflict management, it's a difficult thing and you have to have the right people in the right place. And sometimes yeah. that doesn't happen and that's what everything kicks off. So, you know, the fact that you guys were there with the right mindset is is why you were best placed and you were the best people there to do it, I think. It's a mental day. When did it when did it sort of become a bit viral? Because it, it it went viral, didn't it? Like more than viral, it went global. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, so we made our way to a place called Eat of Eden, which is sort of in Clapham, Clapham, yeah. in between Acre Lane and, uh, and Clapham. Uh, we were outside there because obviously you couldn't go inside because of COVID. So we, we ordered some stuff and we were sitting outside having a bit of a a munch. And um, my phone started popping off. Like um, people sending me, my sister was the first one actually to send me this picture saying, is this you, bro? Like, and, I, and this is the first time I've seen this picture. I'm thinking, um, yeah, so I just said, uh, yeah, it was me. <laughs> I said, yeah. And I was looking at it thinking, damn, shit, it's been caught on camera. And she said, what are you doing? What are you doing there? And I said, oh, we were just there trying to keep the peace, blah, blah, blah. She said, you know, this is, on, this is, on, this is from my mate sent it to me. And she, said, and she said, it's come from Reuters. You know what that means? I said, no. She said, it means it's probably going to go viral. This is, this is coming from Reuters feed. And then there was a video as well. And it just like, it was like showing a bit of the mayhem. Like, and I thought, wow. So when she sent it to me, I, just, I said, I showed the guys and they were going, oh, oh shit, like, and then I thought, you know what, let me put it on my Instagram. So I put it on my Instagram mm. and then I put, um, it's not black versus white, it's everybody versus the racists. It just, yeah, I just yeah. coined the phrase at the time, it just came to me. And then um, before you know it, I start getting lots of hits. All our phones start to ping off because the guys then, then they grab it, I think, and put it on their pages and whatever. And it just, it just, our phone just went mental. My phone went absolutely berserk. I was getting phone calls. People say, is this you? Is this you? A lot of people didn't recognise me, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just were second-guessing if it was me or not. Um, it was mad. Um, and the time from then to, um, to Monday morning, so as you can imagine, that was on Saturday. Then there was Sunday. My phone rang and messages all Sunday from all media outlets, you name them, trying to get me, line me up for Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was absolutely mental and, and so channel four were the first ones to get hold of us because one of the guys in channel four knew a mate of mine and the guy said oh he knows me and so i sort of let spoke to them first yeah and from channel four uh speaking to them i think i met them we met about six in the morning i think something like that was crazy we never left that park until well into the after like basically they were queuing up after channel four had finished with us then it was whoever next and then who after that 
it was it was mad. The park just turned into some sort of uh, some sort of media outlet. It was crazy. <laughs> but it's just like that was the first day. But then, you know, it has gone from like it's, you've gone from the guy that's mentoring young athletes and and whatnot. And next thing you know, you you're all over GQ and <laughs> stuff it's, like it's, that. It's been insane. I mean, that first the first month. Um, like a friend of like one of the athletes that I coached, her mother, um, a, a young lady called Tara, her mum called Gita Bartlett. I always give her a shout out. She reached out to me because she worked in PR previously, and she yeah. knew she knew that what was about to happen to me. So she basically said, "Listen, yeah. I'll just put everybody through to me, and I'll manage all the interviews and stuff." And I did that for four weeks um, before my management team come on board, and she yeah. basically saved my life. Like I even credit her in the end of my book because without her, I don't know what I would have done. She, she, she just navigated things in the right way, decided who I should speak to, who I shouldn't speak to, when I should speak to them. And um, she was tremendous. Mate, you actually um, talking about talk to that person, don't talk to this person, putting you in front of different people. What was the interview like with Prince Harry? I've spoken to quite a few people that I've really enjoyed and met a lot of people, but the two people that I've spoken to that like, really uh, was like, wow, it was uh, Reverend Al Sharpton and um, Prince Harry. And um, when I spoke to Prince Harry, it, it was literally like talking to a mate. Like it was, it was, uh, it was just really cool. You know what I mean? It was just, it was really re relaxed atmosphere. And it was just like me and a laptop and Prince Harry. And it was just incredible, man. And it, we were just talking. Um, and yeah, it was, I hope it came across as uh, genuine and um, yeah, yeah. it came across as authentic because it felt really, it did feel really authentic. And he sounded really genuine in all the stuff that he was saying. And the fact that he's, you know, he's now married to a, a mixed race woman, he, he he feels like he experiences and understands what's happening with, uh, you know, with uh, systemic racism, unconscious bias. He, he kind of gets it because he sees it with his own yeah. eyes now. Whereas before the life he lived, you know, he would have been sheltered from all of this stuff and he wouldn't even have noticed it or knew it existed even. Yeah, yeah. It's mad that... Um... Like your, the phrase that you came up with for your Instagram post, it's not, you know, black against white, it's everyone against racism. That's quite, um, it's quite profound, isn't it? It's mad that it just comes to you when you're sat, I know, I know. sat I mean, down on Acre Lane having a bit of a munch. <laughs> it's, 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 it's mad because, I mean, at the time I said the racists and it's since spawned into racism because obviously it's big yeah, enough yeah. to say racism. But yeah, yeah, like even I sit down and I, and I sort of pat myself on the back, and you know, there's like there's lots of there's lots of like um, you can get a quote from Gandhi, you can get a quote from Nelson Mandela, you can get a quote from Muhammad Ali. That's going to be my quote. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. mate, um, it's quality. You can get a quote from Patrick Hutchinson. I know, I know. For years to come, like, and I'm and I'm so <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, wow. How could you? How did you think of that? Like, it's mad. Like. Moving a little bit away from that, you know, there's been a lot happened because of that, and rightly so. But you've obviously got a new organisation. Can you tell us tell us about it? What it does? What it's called? I know what it's called, but I want you to tell everyone what it's. Called. Yeah, UKI. You know, so uh, united to change and inspire. You know, we were. We like to think. I mean, we there's there's so many different reasons why we use the name, but one of the for for me it was like we were united today on the day as uh, as concerned parents. Um, I, I say parents instead of brothers because sometimes when you say brothers or fathers it, it almost like it emits you know the women or whatever so if I say concerned parents that just puts everybody in the in the in, you know in, in the perspective so we were united on the day going down there and um, 
we like to think that we change the narrative because there are lots of um, negative stereotypes, Jason, of, of, of black men, unfortunately, out there in the media. And we like to think that we've helped change that narrative, you know, and, um, and we're trying to inspire everybody else, you know, to, to be like us where possible, um, intervene, don't allow things to, I think the problem with nowadays, Jason, is that things happen unfold on the street and people are so bothered about filming. And yes, things do need to be filmed because because you need at least one bit of footage, okay? But not everybody needs to be filming it, right? No. All the other people that are filming could actually intervene. And, no. and I, I, I believe, I so believe that there's powers in numbers. And if yeah. some if someone's doing doing something that's a bit naughty out there, you know, 10 or 15 people confront that one person he's he's not going to take on everybody he's going to he's going to run for it right so so i believe that there's power in numbers so i want to inspire others to do like what we did on that day like when we intervened and we did what was right you know regardless yeah. of uh, the politics of anybody we just worried about that late don't worry about that in that moment in that moment in time you do the right thing uh, yeah and that's what okay. we're trying to do Mate, I love it. I agree with it totally as well, because ultimately we're in a society, which means there's lots of other people with different, you know, we're all different and we should all be like looking out for each other because that's the whole point of the society. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm totally I'm, with you. You hear about so many times where people just sit, sit by and stand by and watch stuff happen. You're like, ah, yeah. Yeah. You can, you can have a go at the person that's doing wrong, but you're not really, you're not, you're not contributing to the society anyway, either. Right. Yeah. You're almost, you're, if, you, if you stand there watching something, you're almost complicit because you, if you're able, if you're, especially if you're physically capable of doing something about it, then, mm. then I, I feel like it's your duty to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like sitting around watching 100%. things isn't, isn't the one, mate. But 100%. To, to, to lead on from that, so as, a, as an organisation, we're, we're going to be sort of working at grassroots uh, in various areas. We, we've got mental health, uh, which yeah. is uh, Chris Otokito, education, which is me. You've got... Um, the criminal justice system and reform, which is Jermaine Facey, and you've got uh, youth development, which is Lee Russell, and yeah. each one of us is going to be championing these areas, and we're going to be working at grassroots level, but we're also going to be working, trying to in tandem with uh, the, the policy makers and the people in power, so that we can yeah. help with the, some of the decisions that are made, uh, you know, that that ultimately affect my our community, you know, and Again, hopefully yeah. we can be the glue in between. But that, yeah, that many, be because you're you're essentially the subject matter experts when it comes to the community that you represent because the people that make the decisions haven't got a fucking scooby about the, right. the mindset and and the you know the troubles the difficulties yeah. the highs the lows of being in that that area so that's that's an amazing thing where where can people find you whether it's social media where it's anything like that and and whereabouts are you sort of you know are you hoping to reach everyone everywhere so wherever we're required, that's where we're gonna we're gonna be ultimately, and then the organisation will ultimately be bigger than just you know the four initial founders. You know we're all gonna it's, it's gonna grow, and hopefully we can make a real difference with what we're doing. That's the organisation which is doing big things, but we got to talk about it. You've got a book. It's cool. I mean the book's awesome. The name's awesome. Can you talk about how did the book come about? What's it about? I know well. A lot of people have a. Um, a bucket list of things I'd like to do. And a lot of us will probably have either writing a book or being in a movie on that bucket list, you know. And uh, for me, they're both of mine. And so, you know, we've all got like interesting stories to tell, every single one of us. So to be in a position where people are actually interested in, in helping me tell that story 
and um, you know financing the doing it it was um, unbelievable um, couldn't believe that that was uh, was going to happen so I jumped at that the chance to to, to pen the book picked a uh, a ghostwriter called Sophia Takur who's uh, an amazing young lady who who's a spoken word expert yeah. and you know hopefully with her she's quite young she's a age of she's the same age as one of my daughters and I felt like having the her the, the, that younger element in there with my older element hopefully spans across the generations uh, yeah, the book racing and um yeah it's it's sort of uh, it's about me it starts off with me as a young man um the kind of young man I was and how I was raised and not really having my father around and stuff like that experience um overt racism back then where it was in your face yeah. by even your own mates <laughs> yeah and um so it, it mentions a lot of that um and then it sort of talks a little bit about society some of the things we can do it it, it brings out some harrowing stats and statistics as well as, about being black in this country and in the world as actually some of the things that people don't quite sometimes they don't i don't think people believe or get get it yeah, yeah. like you know or they think what's all this racism stuff about but when you see some of the statistics it kind of drives it home that there is a serious problem in this world that uh, has gone on for way way too long that needs mm. to be addressed yeah I, st I still have it with you know people i know you know talking about certain things and then i i listen to stories about certain you know there's, there's stories about racism and that and it make it does make you think long and hard about it and makes you realize that there is still a problem and there is stuff going on and it you know it's not acceptable and, and it it's sort of a bit of a wake-up call because obviously i don't really i like i live i live here i'm i'm white i don't sort of experience anything like it but it's it's when you do hear about it and then you see it or you sort of hear from friends about it it's like this is yeah. something it needs exploring like on a on a monumental level doesn't it and it needs people like you to talk about it to get it out there to make yeah. people realize that it does happen yeah the, the, the one of the one of the the most for me one of the strangest things is because i've mentioned this a lot and that um like you have the the working class white person your average working class white person has who's worked really really hard um thinks to themselves well i haven't had a leg up you know like I've worked really hard uh, for what I have. Maybe someone like yourself, Jason, or your family, maybe, right? So, so what's all this racism about? I, I haven't had it easy. I'm, I'm not white privileged. But mm. what people fail to understand is that, so if you can think about being, um, you know, working class white person and working really hard for what you have, right? Um, a black person goes through that same class issue as well, because we're all, we're mostly working class too. But then if you add the added caveat of being black to that, which you don't actually have when you're white, mm. then, then hopefully you think that they would be able to understand, well, actually, if I look at it from that perspective, I can get it now because I find it hard enough as a, as a middle class, sorry, as a working class white guy, I find it hard enough. Or my mm. dad did working, you know, or mm. my mom did working. So, geez, and we're white. So yeah, imagine yeah. how hard it is if you're, it's, if you're black. It's a, it's a simple equation, isn't it? It's, like, yeah. it's not... It's not rocket science. It's just like that's that's because of it. It's systematic. That's it. It's there. It's it's, yeah. it's been happening. So you know, it's not it's not a dig at anyone. It's just it is a it, well, it is. But you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And it, it and I would just wonder that I would have just loved to have thought that those people would would get it. You know, when you when you sort of look at it from that perspective, that yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe there is something that's wrong that needs to be addressed. Because we just want people to have the conversation. We just want to open up the conversation 
and discuss it. We don't want people to just deny it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Just because, because it exists. Yeah. Well, the denial thing is just, we're just in that repetitive circle again, isn't we? It just keeps, nothing gets done. and it Nothing gets done, exactly. Stop making things difficult. This is an obviously good thing. This is the right thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mate, what's the book called? I don't think we've meant, we've said what the actual book title is. Everyone versus racism. And it's a letter to my children. That's the format. So it's, I've written it to my children and grandchildren, but the format, it's you know it, it's to wider society to be honest. Yeah. And the uh, on the first the first page you have that that amazing uh, picture that was taken by Dylan Martinez in black and white. You know the the iconic image. The iconic image. I mean that dude Dylan Martinez. His picture. He's changed my life, mate. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know? He has. Um, where can people buy it? Is it out now? Yep, it's out now. Um, you can get it from Amazon. You can get it from WH Smiths, Waterstones, uh, also Tesco's, not mistaken. So you can pretty much get it from, from most outlets. Mate, what um what what has ne- what's next year got in store? You know, we're coming to the end of 2020. What's um what's on the cards for 2021? For me, I would like to get back to a little bit of normality, to be honest. So hopefully UKI starts to really make, you know makes a difference um like i said my field is education and then um, i've got some 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 plans some big plans working with these people referral units i want to change the lives of some of those children in, in those units yeah um so you guys for me and, and for all four of us and then on top of that I, I would like to sort of maybe push out some some uh, some fitness content stuff like that because obviously that's quite close to my heart so i yeah. would say i would say you kai and um, uh, you know, fitness. Keep driving get, get, the fitness. Get some online on online content going, and uh, some bits and bobs in that in that in that industry. I think would be, yeah. I'm gonna basically. I'm gonna. I've got a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Then I've got to look over to Instagram because people send in questions, and I'll pick one out, and whoever I pick out, they get the Talisker sea salted caramel gift set. Everyone's a winner, um, mate. Before we, I always finish on the same sort of question, but I think the question before I finish is probably a really important one because I'd like to get your your view on it because obviously mm. only, only yourself will know coming from where you do. Mate, do you think things are changing when it comes to racism? I hope you say yes. And are <laughs> things getting better? Well, if I said they hadn't changed, uh, you know, for me, I've just got to say it from my perspective and I and things have got better because when I was growing up racism was was over all the time every day on tv in your face you wrote your even your mates it was over it was just there and it was just part of everyday life now it would be I would suggest it's more covert when I say covert it's just embedded in society and it's systemic you know so some of the things that happen to us are not always obvious but they're there and they're happening. So in that in, in that respect, um, the overt racism is is it's not eradicated, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. Okay. Yeah. And now we're just left with the systemic and the unconscious bias, which has always been there, along with the overt racism. So we are we are we are getting there, but it's a it's a long old slog. Yeah. And um, you know, we just have to 
you know, persevere and keep 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 fighting the good fight because eventually, you know, we will get to a place where there is a level playing field and and everyone lives together happily. Yeah, it's like um, I hope I hope I'm right in thinking that like society is like a person and and the older it gets, the more the wiser and better it becomes. But it becomes. I mean, I, I'd agree with you that there's a long way to go, and I suppose you know, education is the best way to combat it, surely. Yeah, it's key. And especially educating our young our young children because it's their society. Tomorrow's society is their society. And if we can get them right, get their mindsets in the right place, then then obviously later on things will be better, you know? Yeah. On, ending on a slightly lighter note, what advice would you give? And I like this one because we always talk about the mental health and the physical health, and it's something that you obviously are very, very invested in. But... What advice would you give to people to maintain good mental health and physical health? So the things that I do that meant that really, really helped me on a mental footing. Obviously, the first thing, as we, as you know, Jace, is training, right? Training for me, um, I think I've heard you say as well that it's uh, even it does more for you uh, mentally than it does for you physically. It, it's it's nice to look good and have a, an half decent body, okay, but it doesn't half really uh, put you in a, in a, a headspace uh, where you can let out a lot of frustrations, especially um, coupling that with the martial When I say training, that includes martial arts. So yeah. being able to hit pads and, and grapple, do a bit of jujitsu, a bit of Muay, Muay Thai, it really does uh, allow you to let your frustrations out uh, on the mat and, and so on, on the bag. So you don't have to prove anything when you get out there on, on the street, you know. Um, yeah. One of the things, one of my tips is laughter. Um, I like to laugh a lot. So like I watch comedies, you got your favorite comedies, you know, um, one of mine's that most people know are the, the, the comedy where the, the guys go away on the, uh, the stag do in America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot what it's called now, it's, but there's about three, three of them. Um, and um, so, so I like to laugh a lot. Laugh, and laughter does so much for you as well. Cause obviously it releases those endorphins, yeah. doesn't it? Um, <laughs> another thing I do, um, is whenever you do good for other people, it leaves me with a really nice warm feeling when someone appreciates something I've done for done something for them. Yeah. Um, it's almost a bit of addictive, a bit of a drug for me. Like I do like to do things for people that are in and around me, like my family and my friends, because I really like the uh, the appreciation that it, they, they, and the love that they give me back in return. That's really good for you for your mental well being. Yeah. And also. Um, meditation is the is the the last one but it's the one that i've added more, most recently and i don't get to do it as much as i would like but having that quiet time that space where you can meditate for for 15 minutes or so um and just just being that in that quiet space it really really does work and i wish i i could do more of it but those are my tips those are the things that i like to do to uh to to you know keep me in a good headspace yeah 100% agree with you mate and also the whole being kind to people and doing things for people, it gives you a much greater sense of purpose, I think. There's a lot yeah, of Yeah, it does, yeah. It does. It it's does. again, it's something I've been thinking about over the recent over the recent sort of year, I suppose. But yeah, mate, I a hundred percent agree. So everyone should listen to Patrick. Uh, <laughs> right, what I'm gonna do now, real quickly, is flick over to Instagram. So, hi guys, it feels like we will be seeing this amazing and inspiring picture for many years to come. It's such an iconic and powerful moment. How does it feel to play such an important role in our history? Which I think you have. That's quite a powerful thing to think about. It is, it is. It's one of those things that um, 
when you're in the middle of it, whilst it's still unfolding, you kind of don't really appreciate it. But I, I know that in years to come, I'm going to look back and go, wow, like yeah. this is, um, this is, this is huge. Um, just to add to that. So I'm on the, the advisory board of a company, a business called the Black uh, Business Institute. Yeah. So, you know, people can follow them at Black Business Institute. And they've got a video um, which starts back right in the uh, 1400s, um, right up until the present day. And it sort of touches on, you know, oppression of black people, civil rights, all sorts, all the way through the ages. You've got mm -hmm. a clip of Enoch Powell in there. There's a clip of a lot of people throughout history. And I'm yeah. at the very end. And, and when I saw that, that really, like, you know, you know, it's put home how like, um, you know, that, that I'm part of history. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was like, wow, all these powerful moments in history. And I'm at the very end of it, you know. Mandela's there. There's a lot of things that happen in, in, in history that's on, on this in this video. And I'm at the very, very end of it. And it's like, wow. <laughs> Mate, that's awesome. And it's also you like there's a legacy there for your kids and grandkids to be proud of as well. Yeah. It's fucking powerful. Brilliant. Patrick, it's awesome having you on. I really, really appreciate you coming on. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I hope we get to meet up at some point. We're not that far from each other. So if there's anything you've got going on you want me to help out with get involved with let me know because i'd be really i'd be really proud to do that oh, cheers jason i really appreciate it man thanks very much to patrick hope you enjoyed it don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and follow me and the book of man for the latest news thanks again to talisker for supporting this podcast and thanks again to you for listening take it easy and i'll see you soon catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started